Good morning. It's good to see you this morning. Won't you stand to your feet as we uh, begin our time of worship together this morning? <clears throat> Sing with me. Come all you weary, come all you thirsty, come to the well that never runs dry. Drink of the water, come and thirst no more. Come all you sinners, come find his mercy, come to the table he will satisfy. Taste of his goodness, find what you're looking for. For God so loved the world that he gave us, his one and only Son to save us. Whoever believes in him will live forever. Bring all your failures. Lay them down at the foot of the cross. Jesus is waiting there with open arms. For God so loved the world that he gave us his one and only son to save us. Well, good morning. 
We're so glad to have you today with us in worship. We're glad that you're here. Uh, Pastor Scott wanted me to mention that Kevin Knight was not able to do announcements this morning. Uh, he had a, a small heart attack last night during the games. Or kidding. Um, sorry, but I heard some gasps there. <gasps> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Anyway, uh, we want to welcome you to the service this morning. Glad that you're here with us in worship. If you're a guest of ours, uh, we want to ask you to please take one of the care cards uh, and fill in your information. We want to at least send you something from Pitts to thank you for being with us. And on the back of the car, uh, care cards, a place for you to fill in any prayer requests uh, that you might have. As you leave today, you can leave those cards in the boxes on the round tables as you leave. But again, thank you for coming and being a part of our worship uh, service today. Uh, during the month of April, we want to ask you to go by. Uh, there's a table set out here to my right uh, as you go out. Uh, where they'll be taking pictures uh, for our uh, program at the church called Realm. We can put our, um, our uh, members' pictures in there and make a digital directory. Uh, folks are asking for that. It helps our deacons know who their families are. Uh, just a lot of uh, benefits to that. And there's also a page where you can uh, take that with you and update all your information uh, to make sure that we have that on file correctly. So please go by and do that uh, during the month of April. And then our ladies are announcing some new growth groups that are going to be meeting. Uh, the uh, deadline to sign up for that is May the 1st, and they're going to have a kickoff event on May the 9th. And these are uh, small groups to get together just really to encourage each other uh, and disciple each other. And so uh, we want to encourage the ladies to go by and sign up for that. You can, you can find up uh, inf more information at the information desk in the lobby. And there is a ladies' event called Fruitful Life on Thursday, May the 5th. Uh, you can also sign up for that. That'll be here on that Thursday evening. And so there'll be more details about that uh, in the announcements also. Uh, April is also our food roundup month for our Baptist children's homes. And there are lists of those items that you can bring each week uh, at the information desk in this building and in the core building. And if you can help us with that, that'd be great. That helps to feed our children in our Baptist children's home. And then our Golf for Missions event is coming up on April the 9th. Today is the deadline uh, to sign up for that if you're interested in playing or sponsoring a hole. Uh, since Kevin Knight is not here, if you'll just see me, you can bring that to me uh, or call the office by tomorrow if you would do that to let us know that you'd like to be a part of that. And then some uh, an, another issue, Doyle Malden, a uh, member of our church, his brother Doug passed away on Friday night. And so be in prayer for that family uh, the funeral, the receiving of friends will be at Wilkinson Funeral Home on Branch View on Monday from 1230 to 2. And then the service will be on Monday at 2 o'clock at Wilkinson Funeral Home. So please make note of that and pray for Doyle and Linda and their family. But let's go to the Lord in prayer for our services today. Uh, and then we'll uh, continue on in worship. Let's pray together. God, we do thank you uh, for all of your blessings, God. For things that you do for us each uh, and every day, God. We, if we began listing those, God, we would even probably forget some of the things that you do to sustain us and help us. And God, we do know as we look at what is going on in our world today, it's some ways frightening, uh, some ways uh, stressful. But God, we know this uh, is all part of your plan, God, that you are in control that none of this surprises you, God. 
And we know that in the end, you win. That uh, Jesus will sit on the throne uh, and that your uh, way will be done. Your will will be done, God. So we trust you each day, God. We do pray for the needs of our congregation. We pray for the Malden family, God, that you'd be with them and comfort them during this time and their loss of their loved one, Doug. God, we pray that in that service Monday, the gospel will go forward, that people will hear that and will respond uh, to uh, the gospel, God, through that. God, we pray for our service today. We pray that you would be with our pastor. God, just uh, speak through him, God. Help him to uh, share what you have given him in his studies, that we would be challenged by it, God, as we continue our study in the book of Genesis and uh, the life of Abraham, God. Just um, be with our service today. Be with any need that are on our hearts today, God. You know those two. Just give us a great day to worship you, and we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. I was raised in a Christian home, but I gave my parents a really hard time. And so I finally decided to join the military because I wanted to do something hard and actually finish it. And it was actually towards the end of my military service when I gave my life to Christ. And having spent time in the Army, I know uh, that it can be a really spiritually dark place. They're young. They're far from family for the first time. They don't have maybe a lot of good influences. A lot of broken homes, Marriages struggling, addiction, a desperate need for the gospel. There's a lot of young Marines here, and they're living in the barracks. When we started this church, we knew that that was an area that God was calling us to reach, to host Marines for a Marine dinner once a month is where it started. To have something like a dinner that they can come to and just be themselves and sit on a couch and eat a warm meal is really impactful for them. More and more guys started coming, and we baptized our first Marine last summer, and then that Marine led to another Marine and then another one to the point now where every week we're seeing fruit. This church, like, means business. Uh, they don't, they are not okay with you just punching your church card every week. <laughs> it was obvious that this was a church that was doing church like the Bible says we should do church. I feel encouraged every time I go to church, like I wish every day was Sunday. When people give to Annie Armstrong, it enables churches like ours to reach military members and their families with the gospel. Washington, D.C. is a city with many, many nations. So to have a gospel-centered, healthy church here is reaching not only the people in this city, but cities all across the world. The military is already moving people around, and as they're moved from place to place, they can take the gospel with them. It's exactly what Jesus has called us to do, and God is changing people's lives. Two of your North American missionaries uh, working. Next week, you'll have an opportunity to bring your Annie Armstrong gifts uh, and place them at the, um, at the stage here. Uh, so you be thinking about how you can give to that as we uh, help to spread the word of God everywhere, even North America and around the world. Let's stand together and sing just that. We can declare together what we believe as we spread that word to the nations. Sing with me this morning. In this time of desperation, when all we know is 
Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise and give thanks to him and praise his name. For the Lord is good and his love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations. Oh, how abundant is your goodness, which you have stored up for those who fear you and worked for those who take refuge. my life you have been faithful. All my life you have been so, so good. With every breath that I am able, oh, I will sing of the goodness of God. So good, you're 
Amen. Thank you, choir. Amen. All God's people said? Amen. Amen. Uh, Take your Bibles out and turn with me back to the book of Genesis. Uh, We are in something like now, I believe it's the eighth message on the life of Abraham. And today we're looking at Abraham, a man of prayer. We'll be in Genesis chapter 18, the second half of that. Uh, The angels and the angel of the Lord have just appeared to Abraham and once again made a promise to Abraham that uh, by that time the following year he and his wife would have a son of their own. And this scene that we look at today follows right on the heels of of that particular uh, episode. Uh, So find uh, Genesis chapter 18 beginning in verse 16. We'll read down uh, through verse 33. But before we get there, uh, let me remind you of what you saw in the video this morning. Next week is our Annie Armstrong uh, Easter offering for North American Missions. You know, a lot of churches uh, emphasize mainly international missions. Uh, We emphasize both. And the reason we emphasize Annie Armstrong in North American missions is because, folks, if we lose North America, if we lose home base, that's also going to seriously impact uh, what our churches here are able to do overseas. Uh, As I've told you before, our North American mission board has set aside about 32 strategic cities across North America, these are 32 of the most unchurched cities across North America. You know, around here in Concord, North Carolina, we may have a church for every 1,500 people. In some places in North America, I know it's hard to believe, but they may only have a church for every 150,000. And so the North American Mission Board has been for a number of years now this strategic church planning Effort, not just going into these areas and doing evangelism, but also establishing churches that can be a home base in that city and in that community. And they're doing a great work. In fact, this morning in the St. Louis area, my grandsons, a year and a half and four years of age, are being dedicated in one of these North American church plants. Now, you may say, why aren't y'all there instead of here? Well, his birthday, the four-year-old, his birthday comes up in a couple of weeks, and he wants uh, Cece and Paul there for his birthday. Uh, I guess it's because we will go bearing gifts. But anyway, uh, so these church plants mean a great deal to me, these North American uh, church plants. And so uh, we just pray that you would... Uh, Make it a matter of prayer for yourself and your family this week, what the Lord would have you to give next week on Palm Sunday uh, for the North American uh, Easter offering for North American missions. Our church planners, our missionaries, the the other work North, North American missions does, disaster relief and things of that nature, they get their funding from Annie Armstrong. A lion's share of their funding comes from this offering. So again, uh, we ask you to give generously to that next week. Would you stand for the reading of God's word, please? Abraham, a man of prayer. 
beginning in verse 16. When the men, that is the angels and the angel of the Lord, got up to leave, they looked down toward Sodom. And Abraham walked along with them to see them on their way. Then the Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do? Abraham will surely become a great and powerful nation. And all nations on earth will be blessed through him. For I have chosen him so that he will direct his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing what is right and just so that the Lord will bring about for Abraham what he has promised him. Then the Lord said the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is so great and their sin so grievous that I will go down and see if what they have done is as bad as the outcry that has reached me. If not, I will know. The men turned away and went towards Sodom, but Abraham remained standing before the Lord. Then Abraham approached him and said, Will you sweep away the righteous with the wicked? What if there are 50 righteous people in the city? Will you really sweep it away and not spare the place for the sake of the 50 righteous people in it? Far be it from you to do such a thing, to kill the righteous with the wicked, treating the righteous and the wicked alike. Far be it from you, will not the judge of all the earth do right? The Lord said, if I find 50 righteous people in the city of Sodom, I will spare the whole place for their sake. Then Abraham spoke up again, now that I have been so bold as speak, to speak to the Lord, though I am nothing but dust and ashes, what if the number of the righteous is five less than 50? Will you destroy the whole city for a lack of five people? If I find 45 there, he said, I will not destroy it. Once again he spoke to him, what if only 40 are found there? He said, for the sake of 40, I will not do it. Then he said, may the Lord not be angry, but let me speak. What if only 30 can be found there? He answered, I will not do it if I find 30 there. Abraham said, now that I've been so bold as to speak to the Lord, what if only 20 can be found there? He said, for the sake of 20, I will not destroy it. Then he said, may the Lord not be angry, but let me speak just once more. What if only ten can be found there? He answered, for the sake of ten, I will not destroy it. When the Lord had finished speaking with Abraham, he left. And Abraham returned home. Father, we thank you for this event that we read about. In Abraham's life that while he was described in scripture as the friend of God we see him also being a friend to men interceding on their behalf and Lord what a testimony to each of us today about the boldness with which we can come before your throne of grace and Lord, with an invitation to this type of praying and this type of boldness, 
May you find your people in prayer because, Father, we certainly are living in dark and needful days. And you remind us that the church moves forward upon her knees. And so may we be found being men and women of prayer. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Perhaps you have read some in your life about George Mueller. George Mueller was a great saint of God who lived from 1805 to 1898. Uh, George Mueller reports that he was an extremely worldly man before his conversion. But you know, God changed him and God set his heart on fire for the gospel. And when you read about George Mueller's life, it's probably one of the most fascinating reads you could ever do about a saint of God. In addition to his preaching, in addition to his writing and his missionary work, George Mueller is, of course, best known for his work of establishing an orphanage for children. With only 50 cents in his pocket, Mueller opened his orphanage in Bristol, England, and over the course of the next 60 years, took care of some 10,000 or more orphans. Now, he and his wife had an interesting policy. And their policy was that they would never ask anybody for funding. They would simply put their request before God because they knew that God knew the needs of those children. And so they would appeal to God to provide. They would leave it all in His hands and never did they ever do without a single day's meals. Mueller said that had the boys and girls gone without food even one time, he would have concluded that it was God's will to shut the home down and he would have done so. He writes that sometimes it would only be hours away from the next meal time and there would be nothing to feed the children and all of a sudden, out of nowhere, a knock would come on the door and somebody with the truck would be there to deliver food for the orphanage. Mueller was even able to give to other missionaries such as Hudson Taylor. By the time of his death, millions and millions of dollars had passed through his hands and yet he never kept any of it for himself, only what he needed to survive. And in fact, when Mueller died, he was by most accounts probably even a poverty-stricken man because he had given all to the children. Now I mentioned George Mueller today because the intercessory prayer that we find in the text today by Abraham is actually the prayer that George Mueller said inspired him the most to pray boldly for the children that he ministered to. 
He read this prayer of Abraham's and it inspired him to be more bold in his own praying. He said, Lord, the scripture says that you're the father to the fatherless. And that means that these children are yours. They're not mine. I may be their caretaker, but you are their heavenly father. And they have needs and I cannot provide for all of their needs. But you certainly can. Heavenly Father, I call on you to honor your own word. If you have promised that you are the father to the fatherless, then you must show yourself a father to these children and take care of them. And again, over and over, Mueller witnessed how God did indeed take care of every single one of those children. The Bible commands us to pray. But folks, that raises the question, doesn't it? Why don't more pray? Isaiah 64, 7 says, And there is no one who calls on thy name, who arouses himself to take hold of thee. I mean, here's the image. God has given his people an invitation to come before him boldly in prayer, and people don't even want to take the time or the energy to bother. And God is asking through the prophet Isaiah, why this is so? And why is it that we give up on prayer so quickly? Now bear with me here before we get into the main points of the message. But this topic is so important for us today that before addressing intercessory prayer itself, I want to ask why do people not attempt to lay hold of God in prayer? What are some of the reasons that we know people have given for not praying the way we know Scripture commands us to? First of all, some would give a practical reason. Some say they don't pray because it doesn't work. And usually they're citing some occasion when they have asked God for something specifically and that answer did not come. And so they've given up on prayer and they just conclude it's a waste of time because God is not going to answer your prayers and provide for your needs. Now oftentimes when people give an answer like this they, un they misunderstand the nature of prayer. You know, they treat prayer like you would walk up to a bubblegum machine and, and pop in the coins and pull a handle and out pops your answer. And generally people may even be asking for something very selfish. It's even out of the will of God. But yet because they dialed up that prayer and they asked God for something and God didn't give it to them the way they the confidence that we can have that we have the request that we've asked of God. So I would say to these people, if you don't see your prayers being answered, maybe you need to do some soul searching because apparently you're not praying according to the mind, heart, and will of God. But also you may be praying expecting that every answer is supposed to come today. And sometimes God doesn't answer today, but in his own perfect timing. Some would give a rational uh, answer. There are some who feel like we live in a closed system. And what I mean by that, they just feel like God stepped out of the picture. 
They would affirm that God created the universe, God set natural laws in action, but then they would say he's just stepped aside. And so they believe that you and I are now responsible for everything that is done. And they would say that God does not intervene. But the biblical witness is just the opposite. All you have to do is read what God did through the lives of any of the saints of the Bible. I mean, just pick a saint. It could be Noah, it could be Abraham, it could be Moses, it could be Daniel, it could be any of the prophets, it could be any of the apostles. It could be the life of Jesus himself. And you'll see that the witness of Scripture is that God, when God created the world, it was God's purpose to create the world, and so he spoke it into existence. Likewise, the Bible tells us that Christ has been crucified from the foundation of the world. Even apart from men, Christ was God's plan to redeem a lost world. And likewise, the Bible says one time that Jesus Christ is coming again one day and all the kingdoms of this world are going to become the kingdom of our Lord and Christ. And nobody's going to stop that. God is going to do those things whether or not you and I pray or not. And yet at the same time, the word of God commands us to pray and Jesus taught his disciples to pray. It would be a cruel joke that God is playing on us if our prayers have absolutely no bearing whatsoever on what he does. James 5 says the prayer of a righteous man accomplishes much. And Jesus himself said ask and keep on asking. Seek and keep on seeking and knock and keep on knocking. And it will be opened unto you. And so the person who says I'm not going to pray because God has everything worked out anyway. Is ignoring what God himself teaches his children in his word about prayer. Some would give a pragmatical reason, and yes, that's a word. The argument goes something like this. I don't pray because prayer is a cop-out. It's what people do who are afraid to act. They say prayer, uh, prayer is a substitute for Christian action, and they would rather be people of action. They would rather be people who simply go out and do. But again, folks, when we read the Bible, we discover that among the saints of God, prayer was never a substitute for action. In fact, prayer was the fuel behind their more effective service. For example, Moses prayed and he went into Pharaoh and said, let my people go. Joshua prayed and he led the Israelites into war against the Canaanites. David prayed and he defeated Goliath. Nehemiah prayed and he mobilized God's people for service to rebuild Jerusalem. Jesus prayed in the garden and went to the cross. The disciples prayed for boldness in the midst of persecution and they went out and spoke. Prayer was the fuel that made their action all the more fruitful. Folks, often we pray selfishly. 
And we see, though, that that is certainly not the case when it comes to our text today as we look at Abraham. Nothing is more selfless than making intercession for other people. And here again we see the great saints of the Bible doing this. Moses said, Lord, I ask you to forgive their transgressions. And if not, then I pray that you would blot me out of your book. You read any of the letters the Apostle Paul wrote, and usually at least once t- one time in each of those letters, if not twice, like in the book of Ephesians, for example, Paul interceded on behalf of the Christians in those churches that he had established. And folks, do you realize that today one of the One of the predominant ministries that the Lord Jesus himself has as he is at the right hand of the Father. The Bible tells us that he is there and he is making intercession for the saints. Here we see Abraham interceding. And let's see what we learn from his intercessory prayer. I want you to see, first of all today, Abraham's intercession was marked by compassion for those who would be destroyed. Look again at what he says down in verses 23 and 24. Abraham approached him and said, Will you sweep away the righteous with the wicked? What if there are 50 righteous people in the city? Will you really sweep it away and not spare the place for the sake of the 50 righteous people in it? Far be it from you to do such a thing. Abraham, the friend of God, is here showing himself also as a friend of mankind. And the Lord had chosen Abraham. We're told here in verse 17, the Lord saying, I've chosen him. Should I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do? Folks, we see a beautiful truth here. Those who are walking in intimacy with God learn the secrets of God. And how is it that God's people learn the secrets of God? How is it that we learn what God is about to do through his word? Simply looking into his word. We're told in this passage that there was an outcry from Sodom and Gomorrah or an outcry about Sodom and Gomorrah which had reached the ears of God. And God described their sin as being exceedingly grave. Now that's an interesting phrase. God considered their sin not simply grave but exceedingly grave. You know, I hear people say all the time, but isn't all sin equal? Well, we are all equal in the fact that we have all sinned and come short of the glory of God. But that doesn't mean that God views each and every sin the identical way. I mean, as you read through the law of of God in, in Exodus and Leviticus and Deuteronomy, oftentimes what do we find there? God says, if so-and-so commits such-and-such sin, then this is to be their punishment. But if they commit such-and-such sin, then you are to do this. And even some sins were justification for a death penalty. 
you get into the New Testament. You read Paul's letter to the Corinthians. And the Corinthians were guilty of every sin under the sky. And yet there was one sin that one man had committed in that church where he was having intimate relationships with his stepmother. And Paul says, you should have put that man out of the church. Shame on you that you didn't. The sin of Sodom and Gomorrah, as we'll see, may not have been confined exclusively to, but it certainly included sexual sin. And it was sexual sin against nature. It was same-sex relationships, specifically in their case, homosexuality. And in fact, we even today use the term sodomy. To describe this particular sin. God shares with Abraham that he's going to go down for a closer investigation. Essentially God is going to go down and confirm what he already knows. You see this is the biblical writer's way of emphasizing that God. We can be confident that God is not making a rash judgment. God is making sure he knows exactly what's going on here. There is patience and long-suffering that we see on the part of God. He didn't just judge them without looking carefully into this matter. And it's a testimony to us that you and I shouldn't rush into judgment either. We need to be patient and confirm things. But where I'm going with this is I want you to see Abraham's response. Despite the sin that Abraham learns that is going on here And how it is seen as being exceedingly grave in God's eyes Abraham begins interceding for these sins God himself exemplifies this characteristic of compassion He sent his son into the world to save sinners. The Lord Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost. The Pharisees condemned Jesus because he hung out with tax collectors and prostitutes. Folks, God is merciful. God is compassionate. The Bible says that God does not take pleasure in the death of the wicked. Here we see Abraham, God's servant, with compassion, interceding on behalf of the people of Sodom and Gomorrah. And it begs a question, how often do you and I intercede For those in the world that we see caught, we read the headlines and we see what people are doing and it just shocks our sensibilities. Do we ever spend any time praying for these folks that somebody would reach them for Christ? Is there anybody in your life right now? Maybe doing something you don't approve of or you just suspect that they're lost and need Christ. Are you interceding for them? Are you taking their lives before the Lord and begging God on their behalf to save their souls and to change their very lives? Is there anybody that you're interceding for like that? 
You know, Jesus on Palm Sunday, which we'll celebrate next week, he wrote, Luke's gospel has him riding into Jerusalem. And, and he sees the city there and he weeps over them uh, because uh, of what he knows is going to happen to them. They're going to reject him. And because they're going to reject him and keep pushing the envelope against Rome, Jesus is saying basically in that passage in Luke that he's prophesying that the Romans are going to come in and completely destroy Jerusalem, which we know that the Romans did in 70 AD. And Jesus looks at that city. He knows what's coming for them and he he weeps over them. Do we weep over the lost? Again, even those who would be doing things that we would say, how could they do that? Do we ever weep over the lost? D.L. Moody, the Billy Graham of his day one time, was speaking in the crusade and a lady came up to him and said, Mr. Moody... Why is it that I don't see people saved in my life? I try to live a Christian life and give a quick Christian witness, but I just don't ever see that I'm impacting anybody. And D.L. Moody said, do you ever weep over anybody in, in prayer? And she made a determination in her life from that point forward. She was going to create a prayer list. And she was going to include on that prayer list people who needed God the most. And seemed to be living the worst. And she was going to weep over them in prayer. And she was able to report uh, some months or years later that she had seen person after person after person that she was praying for come to faith in Jesus. Again, how often do you and I intercede? How often do we go out of our way to intercede with compassion for people that we know if they die in the condition they're in today? As far as we know, as far as we're able to see from the fruit of their lives, we would have to conclude that they're about to go into an eternity without God forever and ever. And do we really care? Do we have compassion? Like Jesus did. Like Abraham does here. Folks, we need to be interceding even for leaders. Even leaders that we don't agree with. But they need our prayers in 1 Timothy chapter 2. Paul commands uh, Timothy to be having prayer in the congregations for leaders, for the decisions they make because they literally carry the weight of the world on their shoulders. And of course Paul is saying pray for these leaders that they'll make decisions that keep roads in their country open for the sake of the gospel. The gospel was his primary concern in saying we all pray for leaders. Praying for leaders that they would make decisions that would keep their countries open to the gospel. But again, do we spend any time praying for leaders? I mean, I've been there right with you. We, we love to complain about leaders, don't we? We love to criticize. We love to complain. We love to just stand back and shake our heads. Can you believe what he's doing? Or can you believe what she's doing? But do we ever pray for these people? We see Abraham here praying with compassion. You know, Jesus said, even pray for our enemies. Even pray for our enemies. 
You know, it's hard to pray for people without God changing your own heart towards those people. Have you ever noticed that? Maybe, maybe that's why he said pray for your enemies. As you pray for your enemies, maybe everything changes in, in our attitude about them. And maybe because of that, we end up reaching them for Christ. Abraham's intercession was marked by compassion. But the second thing I want you to see is Abraham's intercession was marked by confidence in the righteousness of God. Look at verse 25. He said, Far be it from you to do such a thing, to kill the righteous with the wicked, treating the righteous and the wicked alike. Far be it from you. Will not the the judge of all the earth do right? Folks, he knew God would do right. Deuteronomy 32.4 says, The rock, his work is perfect, for all his ways are just. A God of, a God of faithfulness and without injustice. Righteous and upright is he. Folks, we need a proper understanding of God as we pray. What does the Bible say about God? The Bible lists out all these attributes of God. For instance, God is all wise. God's wisdom is complete in all of its ways. He knows all things. For God's wisdom to be incomplete would mean that he would need advice and counsel from time to time. But Paul at the end of Romans 11 expressly says God does not need man's advice or wisdom. Does not need the advice or wisdom or or counsel of anybody at any time because he is the all wise God. His wisdom is unsearchable and unfathomable. And so as we pray, we need to pray with the confidence as we're praying for somebody or something that God's wisdom about that person or that thing is absolutely perfect. God is all-powerful. If there were any power greater than God, then God would have to bow to that power. Essentially, he wouldn't be God because there would be one greater than him. And the one greater than God could uh, render all the works of God as nothing and by sheer force could undo all of God's works and even silence God. But again, God's all-powerful. There's no one greater than he is. God is all-loving. In fact, in 1 John 4, the Bible says God is love. Love is so much of who God is he's the very standard and definition of love all love is to be measured up against God's love God is holy and righteous holy 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 that seems to be the attribute of God the key attribute of how God is described in scripture he is holy God cannot do anything but right For God to do wrong, he would cease to be the standard for all truth and all moral absolutes. God is so holy and righteous, the Bible says he cannot even look upon sin. And that's why Jesus cried out on the cross, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because in that moment, Jesus Christ became sin for us. And the Bible says the Father could not even look upon him. 
The wonderful thing here about God's holiness and, his God, and God's love is how those balance out one another. While God cannot look upon sin and no sin will be in his presence, God in his love is the one who provided the sin sacrifice in Christ that would satisfy his holiness and justice. On and on we could go talking about the attributes of God. Those incommunicable attributes, those attributes that belong to God and God alone. His omniscience, His omnipotence, His omnipresent. Things that can be said of God and God alone. And then those communicable attributes of God, those things that He shares with us. Things like His holiness and love and mercy. And folks, again, as we pray to the Father, we need, we need to understand this is the type God that we're praying for. He's perfect in all of His ways. And we pray to Him based upon how the Scripture reveals Him to be. Abraham is approaching God based upon who he knows God is. He is the God who will do right. He is the God who can do no other. And so if God chooses to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah, then Abraham will know that it was the right and the proper thing to do. Because again, God can only do what is right and just. And you know what, folks? This gives us great assurance as we pray. Because knowing the type of God that God is, as we pray to Him, we can know with bedrock confidence that everything we pray about, God's answers to our prayer are going to be the right answers. We will never get to heaven one day and say, God, you answered my prayer wrong. You were wrong. We can know, we can have bedrock confidence that every prayer we offer to God, God will answer it in His perfection. And you know what? As we pray, we can also pray with the confidence that the Holy Spirit Himself is making intercession with us and for us. Paul says in Romans chapter 8, sometimes we pray about matters that we, we just don't know how to pray. You know, we're torn. We don't know what is the will of God as I pray about this. And, and Paul says in times like that, we can know that the Holy Spirit is there making intercession. He perfectly knows the person or the event that we're praying about. He perfectly knows our heart. He perfectly knows God's will because he's the spirit of the living God. And he's able to bring about, he marry up that thing or person we're praying about and God's will, he's able to bring those things together perfectly to answer our prayers. So we can have the confidence that in our prayers, the Holy Spirit is with us also making intercession about the very thing that we're praying about. 
And if our prayer has any shortcoming in it, guess what? The Holy Spirit is changing that or making it to where there is no shortcoming in that intercession that we're making. That, that, that our intercession will be carried before God in just the right way and God will answer it according to His will. A third thing I want you to see. Abraham's intercession was marked by constancy. He was steadfast. He was persistent. I want you to turn with me to Luke chapter 18. Luke chapter 18. And in Luke 18, Jesus told his disciples a parable to show that they should always pray and not give up. He said in a certain town, there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared what people thought. And there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with the plea, Grant me justice against my adversary. And for some time he refused, but finally he said to himself, Even though I don't fear God or care what people think, yet because this widow keeps bothering me I will see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually come and attack me and the Lord said listen to what the unjust judge says and will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night will he keep putting them off I tell you he will see that they get justice and quickly however when the son of man comes will he find faith on the earth notice what Jesus says God is not like this unrighteous judge. He's not, Jesus isn't making a comparison here between the unrighteous judge and God. He's making a contrast. Because God is righteous. But his point is, is even if an unrighteous judge can be moved by persistence, how much more can the righteous judge of the universe be moved to action? We keep praying. Because of what we know about God. He's the righteous judge who will do right every time. And because we have faith in that kind of God, we keep praying. But Jesus went on to point out that it takes faith to keep praying like that. It, keeps, it takes faith to keep praying. When we don't see an immediate answer to what we're praying about. Too often we give up when we don't see immediate answers. God saved Lot. God did so because the text is going to say later that... In other words, Abraham's faithfulness and the fact that Abraham was chosen of God uh, made a difference to Lot's life. And so, folks, we, we see here that we're to keep praying even when we don't see immediate answers. And we're to keep praying with boldness the way Abraham kept praying with boldness. In fact, the book of Hebrews says you and I can pray with boldness because Jesus has gone through the veil and into the Holy of Holies leading the way for us so that we can go boldly into the presence of God, the book of Hebrews says. Probably 15 years ago though, when, I, when we preached on Luke 18 about this parable of the persistent widow, I gave you an illustration then, I think bears repeating. Roger Sims was hitchhiking home 
decades and decades ago. He'll never forget that day. It was May the 7th. And he was tired from carrying his suitcase. He was anxious to get home and take his army uniform off once and for all. Flashing the hitchhiking sign to the oncoming car, he lost hope though when he saw that it was a black, sleek Cadillac, one of the top models of the day. And he thought, this guy will never stop. But to his surprise, the Cadillac pulled over. The passenger door opened, he ran toward the car, took his suitcase, threw it in the back and thanked the well-dressed professional man as he slid into the front seat. Going home for keeps, the driver asked. Sure am, said Roger. Well, you're in luck if you're going to Chicago. Not quite that far. Do you live in Chicago? Yeah, I have a business there, said the driver. My name is Hanover. The Hanover of Hanover Enterprises. After talking about many things, Roger, a Christian, felt a compulsion in his heart to witness to this man, probably somewhere in his 50s. He knew he was successful, but did this businessman know Christ? Roger said, I kept putting off my witness until I realized I was just 30 minutes away from where this man would need to let me out. So it was now or never. Roger said, I cleared my throat and and began. And to my surprise, the man suddenly, after I shared the gospel with him, pulled the car over. Roger thought, "I, I, I was sure he was about to kick me out of his car. But the businessman bowed his head and said, I need this Christ that you're telling me about. And he surrendered his life to Christ. And after this businessman prayed, he looked up at Roger and said, This is the greatest thing that has ever happened to me. Five years went by, Roger married. Had a two-year-old boy and a business of his own. Packing his suitcase for a business trip to Chicago, he took out the business card that Mr. Hanover had given to him in the automobile five years earlier. And in Chicago, he looked up Hanover Enterprises and a receptionist told him it would be impossible to see Mr. Hanover, but he could see Mrs. Hanover. And he was directed into a luxurious, extravagant office. She extended her hand and said, So you knew my husband? Roger told her how he had been hitchhiking and Mr. Hanover had given him a ride home after the war. Mrs. Hanover asked, And when was this? He said, May 7th, five years ago. She asked, Anything special about your conversation? Roger hesitated. And then plunged right in with her. He said, why yes, I felt compelled to witness to your husband about my faith in Jesus Christ. To my surprise, he pulled over to the side of the road and prayed right there on the spot to turn his life over to Christ. Mrs. Hanover suddenly began to shake with uncontrolled sobs. She said, I had prayed 
for my husband's salvation for five years. I believe God would save him. She said, Roger, my husband never made it home on May 7th, five years ago. After dropping you off, he was involved in a fatal car crash. And I've gone these five years believing that God did not answer my prayer. I've even grown discouraged myself about living for God anymore because I felt like God doesn't keep his word. Keep praying. Be constant in it, even as Abraham was. Lord, for 50, how about 45? How about, how about 30? How about 20? How about 10? He did not give up. I want to ask you to bow your heads with me, if you would, please. As you bow your head, every head bowed, every eye closed, I want to challenge you today to make intercessory prayer more of a constant in your life. There are lost people around you who depend on your intercessory prayers even though they don't realize it. There's family members and co-workers and friends who need your prayers. Your church family needs your prayers. And because of Christ going through that veil into the Holy of Holies, opening